Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sock Take Pod, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is episode 57. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston. Alongside me is my esteemed colleague, my fellow co-host, John Leonard. John, how is life out there in in Texas, man? Uh, For the first time in what feels like um, approximately 350 years, it's actually not raining. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, we had a bit of a windstorm here in Indianapolis uh, over the weekend. I, I Apparently that was hitting the entire Midwest because I drove down to Louisville. It was still windy, and I just saw everyone that lived in the Midwest was complaining about the wind. So uh, anyway, we got a great guest today who's living down south um, in Mississippi. He is a former USMNT player, also played for several MLS teams, was kind of an MLS lifer, perhaps most notably for Chicago Fire and the Montreal Impact, I believe, were his two longest stints. So we're thrilled to have former USMNT midfielder Justin Mapp. Justin, thanks so much for joining us, and how's it going, man? Going well. Uh, Yeah, doing well here. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, Looking forward to it, so appreciate it. And it sounds like you're still involved in the game, but of course, officially your career is, you're quote unquote retired, I guess we'll call it. You just announced it uh, pretty recently back in, it's approaching a year now, back in November 2017, I believe. Um, And I'm curious to know, first of all, if you're enjoying your quote unquote retirement. (laughs) And one thing that you mentioned in your farewell retirement post, which was very well written, by the way, I enjoyed it. Um, you mentioned watching the MLS grow. So the the way your career kind of spanned, you you kind of had an interesting timeline because when you started, MLS was kind of right there on the brink, you know, um, it had faced many obstacles and was kind of re- in a rebuilding phase. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, you retired, retired just last November. So you pretty much saw kind of when MLS was hanging in the balance to the present. So um, as I said before, how are you enjoying your retirement and how would you describe the current state of MLS to which you refer to uh, that it has grown to this point? Yeah, well, uh, some good questions. And first and foremost, uh, I'm enjoying the retirement. Um, it is like everyone says, it is kind of an adjustment period, um, especially uh, after playing in the league for 15 years and pretty much playing uh, since I was a little kid. So uh, just kind of getting used to not waking up, going to practice, waking up on the weekends, having games, whether it's a kid, professional, whatever it may be. So it's definitely an adjustment period, but it is definitely easier on the body. Um, and you don't have the pressure of uh, being in the game and, and things like that. So everything's just a bit more laid back. So I'm enjoying it, uh, adjusting, and, you know, obviously still follow the game closely and, you know, and obviously doing some coaching myself, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But, um so, yeah, enjoying that. And as far as, um, you know, like you said, coming into the league, um, 2002 drafted to, to just retiring last year. Um, you know, 15 years, a lot can happen. Um, and, you know, like you said, I, I saw the league. I think there were maybe 10, 8, 10 teams, 12, somewhere in there when I first came in the league. Um, you know, playing in huge football stadiums, lines on the field. Um kind of taking a back burner to the, to the NFL teams, half, half full stadiums, um, which in a big football stadium can look pretty empty. Um, so now almost every team having soccer specific stadiums, um, beautiful state of the art, uh, filling them up. You know, you got Atlanta just set the, the attendance mark with over 50,000 Seattle and down the list. So um, it's really come from, 
you know, half of them being turf with football lines literally on the field while we're playing to um, some of the most beautiful stadiums, you know, in the U.S. Uh, for any sport. So, um, and I think it, it's only getting bigger and better. Um, you know, all these cities, uh, you know, wanting a team now, seeing what, what could be. Um, you've seen what happened, obviously, like I mentioned, Atlanta, um, you know, Nashville coming into full, Cincinnati, um, et cetera. Um, I obviously got to play in Canada and saw their passion for the game up there firsthand. Um, so I think, uh, you know, sky's the limit in the future, and um, I just hope it keeps building in the right way. And you touched on still being involved in the game in a coaching capacity. It looks like you got a great thing going there. you got your own website and your own training. It looks like you offer it in both group sessions and individual one-on-one training. Is that something that you had planned to do prior to retirement, or was it just you were sitting on your couch uh, earlier this year and thought, hey, yeah. let me do this? Um, I always knew I wanted to get into coaching. Um, I mean, soccer's been my, my life since a little kid, so I mean, soccer <laughs> – Soccer is what I know, um, you know, at least until this point. So um, I wanted to give back what sure if that meant jumping into a club team, hopping on a, you know, some sort of professional environment staff or something. So um, I thought, especially back where I'm from and, you know, a state like Mississippi, being able to kind of hands on uh, just share my experiences um, and obviously train kids and, you know, kind of a small group setting where you're not necessarily in, dealing with one or two club teams and that's it. Just dealing with kids of all ages, boys, girls, um, and just really hammering home kind of the technical side of it, which, you know, from my experience, I've kind of seen some of the kids lack. So just getting comfortable on the ball, um, you know, I think that's something that helped me through my my career is just, uh, you know, having a confidence and being comfortable on the ball, skillful, things like that. So I just wanted to try and teach them that and, uh, you know, kind of in a refined setting instead of, you know, uh, large numbers. So, um so far, so good, and uh, I hope to keep it growing and building. So, John? So I've just got a, a couple of some of those early MLS startup questions, and then just a first one. It's more of a career total type thing. I've been looking at your statistics to get ready for this. You played in 309 MLS league games and never got a red card, and only got a total of 12 yellows. That seems, <laughs> sounds, like, a, sounds about right. it seems like a statistical anomaly. Is there any particular reason that you think you were one of those very, very few people with zero career red cards in 300 games? Well, I think it really just boils down to just honest defense. You know, moving my feet, nothing dirty, um, just Old school defense. Nah, I don't know. Um, obviously, try to get you know do my little fair share of defending, but uh, being an attacking player, I'm not gonna lie, that wasn't necessarily my forte. So I tried to to refrain from the crunching tackles and uh, stuff like that as much as I could. Um, maybe that's why I was able to to stick around as long as I did. Um, so yeah, maybe I got away with a few here and there, just uh, maybe a good reputation. But um, like I said, I, I tried to steer clear. Um, of uh, the slide tackling and all that as much as I could, um, you know. So I, I guess that's kind of how I skated by like I did. All right. And uh, with your early years in MLS, especially with your early time with the fire, you were actually under Dave Sarakan when he was the 
his only to date full professional head coaching job. And that Chicago Fire team for many, many years was actually probably a lot stronger than a lot of people gave him credit for. Uh, what about especially that 2003 season, your first real full year as a professional, do you think stuck with you? And what was it like, you know, winning a supporter shield when, at age 18? Yeah, um, obviously many years ago, but I, I mean, I remember that team pretty fondly. I still look back at it as one of, if not the strongest team I played with. Um, you know, you can go down that roster, um, especially being my first year um, coming in as, you know, an 18-year-old, you know, just coming over from D.C. And, you know, you look down that roster from Chris Armas, Jesse Marsh, uh, Carlos Bocanegra, um, you know, Demarcus Beasley, Ante Razoff. I mean, we had some players. So, uh, you know, looking back on it, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, we were able to win the Sporter Shield, you know, all the way to MLS Cup, lost a tough one there. Um to the earthquakes, if I believe with Landon Donovan. So, um, you know, you just had some really veteran guys who, you know, had great careers. Um, obviously some of them went to Europe, you know, Carlos and, uh, DeMarcus. Um, so we just had a, we had a really strong team and, um, you know, it being my first year, I didn't know, you know, one thing from another, but looking back on it, um, you know, pretty fortunate to be a part of that team and kind of really learn how to be a pro under some of those guys, even at a young age. Um, you know, your Chris Armises, your Justin Martian, um, CJ Brown, et cetera. So um, some fond memories and, um, you know, uh, you know, he had definitely had a really good team, won, a, won an open cup with the fire not too long after. So, um, you know, definitely had some, some big time players back in the day. Well, John took you down memory lane with the fire. So, Let's jump to the future and also talk about the impact because they're in the middle of a very close, very tight uh, race out in the Eastern Conference between um, the Columbus crew and the impact. The situation stands essentially Columbus is currently two points clear of the impact, but the impact have more wins. Uh, If the impact win, they will get, you know, three points. If the crew, the crew pretty much must win. If they draw or lose and Montreal wins, uh, the impact will have more wins. And that's the first tiebreaker. So um, side note, I'll be at the crew match uh, this weekend. So definitely looking forward to that. It's going to be an exciting one. Justin, do you think that the impact can uh, go on the road this Sunday at Minnesota United FC, a team that's struggling, but still a road match, tough environment. Do you think that the impact will go out and get it done this Sunday? I think so. Um, they've been in a good uh, stretch of form. You know, I keep up with Impact pretty closely. Um, you know, still talk to some of the guys. And look, it's uh, they have difference makers. Um, you know, with Piotti and you know some of the guys they have. Um, so they they've shown it in the past. Very dangerous on the counter. Um, I know they'll be prepared. You know, never easy going on the road to to any team. Um, and obviously, even if they win, they need some help. But uh, I think they're more than capable with, with the uh, the form they've been in and guys like Piotti um, in the attack to uh, pull off a win. And, and, you know, at that point, they'll have done everything they can and see where the chips fall. And, you know, MLS has, you know, been around it long enough to know, uh, never be surprised by a result in this league. So um, on any given day, I feel like anybody can beat anybody. So um, uh, I'm sure they would like to already be in, but they're giving themselves, uh, you know, something to play for on the last day and, 
at the end of the day, that's all they can, uh, you know, that's all they can really hope for. So um, still have a chance. And in your USMNT playing career, I'd say uh, I'm guessing probably one of your best experiences was playing in Copa America in 07. And I think you got quite a bit of run in that tournament and even took the pitch against Argentina uh, with Messi on the same pitch. So definitely got to jump to this question. What was that experience like playing on the field with Leo Messi? Um, it was pretty, pretty surreal. Um, you know, I was fairly young at that time, I think early twenties. Um, you know, I think Messi was obviously messy, um, even, even way back then. So obviously knew, knew all about him and, uh, yeah, first game, I think 40,000 in Venezuela step on the field against, you know, Messi. And I mean, they had a, a star studded team brought Carlos Tevez off the bench, Raquel May in the middle, the netty at right back. So they, they weren't playing around and, you know, we had, had a fairly young squad, um, had just come from, uh, the gold cup in Chicago. And, uh, I just remember 40,000 rooting for, for Argentina. Um, I remember lining up on the left side, Messi was kind of, I think playing inverted winger. So he was kind of on the right. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, here we go. Um, and we actually took the lead, I believe on an Eddie Johnson penalty kick to lead them one zero kind of out of the blue. Um, and obviously came back to lose, I think, four to one. But we did have the lead at one point in that game. Um, and just overall, just an incredible experience. And, you know, something I, you know, uh, you know, definitely look fondly on looking back for sure. And I just mentioned the 2007 Copa America. Of course, World Cup years were 2006 and 2010. Um, how big of a disappointment was it, Justin, to, you know, have been heavily in the picture at one point in between those two World Cup years, but also in the end not making either World Cup roster. Is that something that was tough to come to terms with? Um, or did you, I guess, how did you handle that um, as far as, you know, from a mental standpoint and not letting it affect your play? Yeah, I mean, you obviously want to always be involved with the national team. Um, I think 2006, I kind of just started getting a few caps um i remember playing against panama maybe my first cap world cup qualifying kind of kind of bringing in some fresh faces so i didn't necessarily you know hang my hopes on making that one um not that it couldn't have happened um 2010 uh, you know i don't think i was playing well enough to you know be involved in the picture at that point um and then you know honestly the one i, th- I think i would have had the best shot at being a part of was actually 2014 in Brazil. I was in Montreal. I've been in good form for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, you, you never know. Um, but I, I thought I was doing enough to put myself in that conversation then, um, even though I've been out of the picture for quite a while. Um, so obviously those would have been great experiences, but you know, at the end of the day, just, just putting that shirt on at least one time in my career, um, is something I'm, I'm proud of. And, uh, you know, World Cups would have been would have been the icing on the cake for sure. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it didn't happen, and, and that's okay. So, John, going from the time in Canada and the fact that you were the first non-Toronto player to be the Canadian Championship MVP, and your recent switching to a little bit more of a training and coaching role. Have you been in talks with any of the Canadian Premier League teams about possibly working with them as a coach? Um, I haven't at this point. Um, 
you know, I, I've thought about that kind of with new teams firing up or, or, you know, or even being a part of the impact where I spend a lot of time or fire. Um, so really coaching wise, not exactly sure where I want to go, but um, I, I have thought of that, that idea. And, um, you know, obviously want to kind of focus on my personal training right now. Um, but I mean, never say never. I always keep the, the options open and having spent time in Canada and kind of gotten used to it, um, you know, never say never, you know, going back and, um, you know, whatever position that or where that might be. So always keeping my options open and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens down the road. And a follow-up coaching question. This one's a little bit different. The coaches of the two teams where you spent the most of your time, the current coaches of the Montreal Impact and the Chicago Fire, have both been under, some might call it scrutiny, some might call it looming unemployment. From a former player's perspective who's been with both teams, who do you think's... Uh, who do you think's got a hotter seat at the moment? Um, honestly, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, you, you never know what the, the front office is or higher ups are thinking. But um, I think, you know, obviously the impact started slow, but it's, uh, you know, Remy Guard's first year. And I think they actually came on pretty strong late in the season, you know, to put them in the position they're in. Um, I know uh, Joey Saputo up there, you know, they, they really want to make the playoffs. That's always a high priority. So it would be disappointing if they don't. But I think the uh, way I've seen them play the last half of the season, I think um, they've seen enough to keep him around for sure. And I think he's actually done a pretty good job if you look at the totality of the year. Um, and I know Ponovich, uh, I actually played with him in Philadelphia years. So great guy, you know, bright mind. Um, and yeah, they had a they had a tough season uh, there in Chicago, and you know, obviously having played for the Fire, um, I want to see them kind of return to uh, prominence and you know be a bigger player, you know, in the league. So you never know. Um, I never want anyone to lose their job, and um, hopefully Pono can get things turned around this next year. Um, but again, you know, seeing play for a number of coaches, you you never really know. Um, so. Uh, that's a tough one to say. Hopefully they both keep their job because, you know, you never like to see people lose it for sure. Yep. And with the fire, with that eight-game losing streak they had this year, did you ever sit on the couch and think, maybe I should give them a call and see if they need some help? <laughs> no, a little, a little too out of shape for that. Uh, yeah, even though they're losing, I, I don't think they need me at this point. But, uh, you know – you always think, uh, you know, watch these games and, you know, picture yourself still being out there and still not being uh, too old, only 34 now. So, um, you know, my time's up. But, uh, yeah, you hate to see your former teams going through tough times and, you know, wish you, you know, literally as a former player and uh, of that franchise or team, you know, wish you could do something to help. So, um, you know, I'm sure they'll get it turned around. And, um, you know, Fire has a, a, a very bright history and, um, have, have worn a lot back in the day. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll get it back uh, in that direction soon. You mentioned right. kind of instilling confidence in young players on the ball when we are talking about your training sessions earlier. I'm curious to know, Justin, if you had, because uh, there really aren't that type of, there's not a surplus of that type of player necessarily in the United States. Um, guys that had your skill set, Justin, that, um, can go at guys 1v1 and they really just want to, you know, skin you and get in a good service. So there are guys who, who can do it certainly, but 
definitely is not what American soccer is known for. So kind of having that slightly unique skill set. Um, and you mentioned kind of wanting to instill those same qualities in, in the youth. Did you have a particular coach or a particular player that you looked up to and tried to model your game after, or did you kind of develop your skill set just on your own? Um, I think it's a combination, you know, you know, as cliche as it is, you know, they always talk about, you know, just go in your backyard, kick against the wall, just touch the ball. And, you know, I, I literally did that. I was get home from school, whatever it was, go in the backyard, just try stuff. Um, and then in the Jackson, Mississippi area, you know, growing up, um, was surrounded by, um, they were going to college here, Bellhaven College playing NAI soccer group of, Bell, of uh, Trinidadian players. Um, and they were, you know, kind of coaching in the area at the same time. And um, I think they just, uh, you know, kind of had that Caribbean flair, good on the ball, try stuff, kind of laid back, you know, sole of the foot, that sort of thing. So I think kind of working with them and then just on my own at the same time, I think kind of just developed that, you know, love for the ball and being good on it and going out players and taking risks. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I model my training and, you know, just, challenging these players to express themselves and um uh, you know like you said there's not really a surplus of players that's not really what the, the american player is known for um you know going 1v1 you know not that we don't have them because we certainly do but um that's how i want to pattern my my coaching style and just teaching them to be fearless on the ball and not be afraid to make mistakes and um that's kind of how i pattern it so and kind of a, a bizarre distinction from your MLS career was, of course, MLS has always kind of been a, a make the rules up as we go type of league. You know, I guess it kind of had to be that. And I guess you could say kind of continue continues to have to be that. But uh, one little weird rules quirk that was thrown in there was suddenly, I believe it was on the tail end of the, the new collective bargaining negotiations, if I recall correctly, but suddenly I remember out of the blue, MLS had free agency and there were all these asterisks and stipulate and you had to be a player over this <laughs> certain age with this many years of experience in MLS and whatever. And uh, I remember just thinking it, it was crazy. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was only like maybe you and like one or two other guys. I, I think you could count the guys that qualified on like one hand. So it was just kind of a weird thing that came out of left field. Uh, but sure enough, Justin Mapp was uh, fifth of qualifications and signed with Sporting Kansas City as the first ever free agent signing. So uh, what do you recall about that experience? And I'll also tie that into a little a second part of a question is uh, what do you kind of make or every time you hear about some new mechanism in MLS, you know, whether let's say, I guess, TAM, for example, or, you know, just stuff that kind of pops up out of nowhere. Um, how what's your impression of, the, of those things that kind of pop up over the years? Yeah, well, uh, first part of the question, um, obviously, the, the free agent thing, free agency thing kind of, like you said, came on the back end of the last part, um, CBA. Um, and yeah, uh, like you said, there weren't many of us that qualified for it. I, I forget the, the stipulation, but it was like played in the league <laughs> eight or more years, you have to be 30 or more over. Um, so again, that, that really, that really narrow, narrows us down. So my initial thinking was, well, staying in, MLS, staying in MLS this long, you know, it's finally paid off. So um can finally choose where I want to play. And um, it was a cool experience almost. Uh, you know, I didn't attend college uh, for soccer or anything. So I kind of looked at it as like a uh, 
college recruiting visit. So, you know, I, I took a trip to sporting for a day or two, showed me around dinner, that whole thing kind of, you know, want you to come to their club and had a few more lined up after that. And, um, you know, you know, one after the other, I think Orlando's just in a couple more and, um, you know, I, I, I like sporting right away. So kind of canceled those and just signed with sporting, but, uh, it was a unique experience that kind of felt good to just kind of have the ball in your court for once. Um, you know, and obviously my time there uh, was injury plagued, unfortunately, but um, that was a cool experience. And um, I'm glad the players are finally getting a little more say, um, you know, each collecting bargaining agreement, um, you know, on, on movement within the league um, and things like that. So, um, and second, what was the second part of the question? Uh, was just kind of what you made over the years of all uh, just okay. the random new stuff that pops right. up in MLS. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it's kind of, you know, after so many years, it's, um, I felt like each year there's always something new that <laughs> even after being in the league for so many years, you just, you've never heard of it. You didn't know that was a thing. And at a certain point, it's just nothing surprises you. Um, <laughs> so just kind of roll with the punches and, Oh, that's a thing. Okay. Who knew I've been in the league for 10 years and had no idea, or that's <laughs> something brand new, or there's this, this new batch of money that somehow came out of thin air that's for this X, Y, Z. So, um, I know the league's always just trying to improve it. Um, you know, but, it, but it is funny cause, um, you know, <laughs> you know, half the people haven't heard of it. Some have don't know what it actually means. What does this word actually mean? Um, so it just kind of took it in stride, but yeah, uh, to be fair, nothing, nothing ever surprises, surprised me anymore, you know, after a certain amount of years, um, you know, um, and I'm, I'm sure the league will still continue to implement, um, uh, some new gimmicks here and there. So, um, you know, it's, it's all trying to help the league grow. I get it. And, you know, hopefully that's the case. So. John. So on the topic of league growth, something that is personally, something I really enjoy talking about is the stadium evolution. And as you touched on it before, you played in some, shall we say, interesting venues in those early MLS years. Which stadiums as a player did you enjoy playing in the most? And which ones did you hate the most? Um, I would say... I would say probably playing in, um, I'll give you two. Um, I'll say, uh, Montreal, um, you know, not necessarily the most state of the art, but, um, you know, a pretty passionate fan base, um, great field once the weather got warm. Um, so I really enjoyed it there. And I would say obviously, uh, Kansas city as well. So, um, part of the reason I went there in free agency was just kind of their atmosphere dating was, state-of-the-art um, fans, um, pretty wild. So I'd give those two as favorite places to play. Um, and then I would say hated it the most was probably Seattle, just because it was turf and you have 40,000, 50,000 fans screaming at you. So, um, you know, uh, it was kind of cool to be in that environment, but it was also, you know, a, a turf field and, you know, you obviously had – uh, 50,000 fans going against you. So, um, just a pretty intimidating place to play there. Um, you know, although, um, you'd rather have more fans there than, than less. So I guess it, it's a good thing as well. So, 
I would say uh, Seattle as uh, the one I dislike the most. Even more than, say, the Olympic Stadium in Montreal? Uh, I forgot about that one because uh, it was only a couple games a year. That was, uh, surface-wise, probably the worst. Um, just old AstroTurf, um, not even the new stuff with the rubber pellets. Um, felt like there were some hollow spots under the ground. You just you just didn't know the ball rolled funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'd say that one was pretty rough. Um, but then adversely, uh, you know, Sakudo Stadium was pretty nice and really enjoyed playing there. So. Yeah, that's that's the one I've heard a lot of is what I was curious about is that turf looks bad on TV. Yeah. And I, I just got to wonder, it's like, ooh, I wonder what they actually yeah, feel about it's it. It's as bad as it looks. It's as bad, just as bad as it looks. <laughs> it, it feels just as bad, too. So luckily, we only had to play there two or three, two or three times uh, until moving outdoors. Good. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Montreal, what was maybe your your fondest memory from your time up there? And did you pick up any French? Or are you uh, even semi-fluent in French? Um, I do know a little bit. Uh, I was a little sharper when I was up there. So I took a couple classes with some teammates. And, um, you know, I know the fans up there really appreciate when you try and speak speak the native language. So they always appreciated that. So I wanted to try and immerse myself and, you know, uh, pick up the culture. So um pretty rusty now but did pick up a little bit and i'd say my most fond memory um you know we were able to win some canadian championships although that is a a pretty small tournament um you know the fans took it very seriously you know obviously as did we so winning a couple of those back-to-back years um you know and being uh tournament mvp a couple years in a row was pretty pretty cool deal and um and then i would say the the one moment that sticks out the most was uh, we're playing Pachuca in the return leg of uh, CONCACAF Champions League um, uh, quarterfinals, I believe, um, and scored a goal. Cameron Porter, um, who's from Dayton, Ohio, um, he was a rookie. I don't think he'd ever played in a game. I think he came on with about five minutes of stoppage time left and scored a, you know, just a goal out of nowhere literally, you know, at the death um, to put us through to the semis. And we were in Olympic Stadium, 60,000, um, just absolutely lost it. Um, as soon as they set the ball back up, the center circle, blew the whistle, game over. Um, and that, that goal actually, uh, you know, that was a goal that put us through. So it was it was crazy. We thought we were down and out. And, uh, literally, last kick of the game um, sent us through and um, obviously put – you know, MLS as a whole into to the semifinals there. So um, that one definitely sticks out to me. Yeah, my friends and I still talk about that specific game and that specific goal. I, I was watching that edge of the seat and just losing my mind at that play. That was that was such a great game. <laughs> yeah, it was because uh, I believe Pachuca got a PK in about the 85th minute scored. And, you know, we were just deflated because uh, I think a tie would have put us through. So we were thought we were so close and, um, you know, they got kind of a phantom PK and then I think 95th, 96th minute, you know, Cameron did that. And, you know, some of us didn't even, you know, maybe know his name or, you know, he was with us in preseason, but never played in a real game. So, you know, weren't expecting much and took down a beautiful long ball and, you know, poked it through the goalie's legs and, you know, you were watching, it was just crazy. So uh, some good memories there. And I'll have to third that one. I was watching that game live myself actually too. 
And I think I, that might have even been a goalkeeper assist. I think it was off a goalkeeper punt and just took like one bounce, chested it down and finished that. Yeah, that was one of the most ridiculous finishes I've ever seen in any match, I think. Um, yeah, speaking of goals, through the legs on the move. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and speaking of goals, what was your favorite that you ever scored during your career, Justin? Um, hmm. I would probably say, um, uh, it definitely wasn't my best goal, but I remember playing against Kansas City. Tony Miola was in goal. I think we were, I was 18, first year at the fire. Um, and hit a long range shot literally right at him. And it just went through his, went through his arms, basically kind of just a flute goal. Um, and I was just a young kid and kind of had looked up to Tony Miola and I was, wow, I just scored on Tony Miola somehow, some way, um, from like 30 out, literally right at him, just kind of a, one of those, those bloopers. Um, so I remember that one, um, all the way back when, um, and then another one I scored, um, it was in the Canadian championship scored against Toronto away um, to make it, I think one, one and, and put us through to the next round or, or help us in that series. And um, that was kind of a big goal for us. So um, anytime, you know, Montreal and Toronto got together um, some fireworks and um, that goal was pretty big against the rival. So. John, any final questions for Justin before we wrap up and let him get out of here? Just, this is this is a little bit of a hypothetical, but so in the major arena soccer league, they've been gradually expanding into Canada. They've now put a team in the greater Toronto area and they've lured one of your former foils, uh, Dwayne De Rosario, out of retirement to play for them. If, say, this rumored Montreal team they're planning for next season comes through and Dwayne De Rosario calls you up and says, hey, you want to come give this a go, what do you say? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think uh, I'd have to think about it if Dwayne called me. But, uh, you know, like I said, you still picture yourself playing and uh, that might be a little little more feasible than uh, playing on a big pitch. So. Um, you never know. Uh, you know, I think I still got some left in the tank, so we'll we'll say 50-50. Yeah, Eric Hosley was in the league not too long ago, and he was still looking fine in his late 30s. Uh, we've got uh, Jose Bursiaga is out of retirement to play oh, wow. for the Dallas Sidekicks okay. this season. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Like, if, if you were to give him a call and say, hey, you know what? I'm down for 10 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game here and there. You get your bench time like in yeah. hockey, you know. There you go. Yeah. I, hey, never say never. I didn't know some of those guys. Hey, if they're still doing it, I know I can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Hey, you never know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll start the rumor mill early. So uh, you've got the yeah, leg up that, on it. Get that going. Get that going. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> Cool. Any final questions, John? Ah, uh, no, nah, that's 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 the fun one. I don't know if we've got any uh, flaming meteor type questions for Justin today. <laughs> okay, thank goodness. I appreciate you letting me off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, definitely thanks to our guest, Justin Mapp. Also thanks to my co-host, John Leonard. You can find John at Twitter and elsewhere, at JohnMLTX. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston. You can find me at KJ Boxing. Justin, can you uh, 
tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find more information about your training sessions. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, jmap21, um, and you can find more info on my trainings at just uh, uh, www.justinmapsoccer.com or um, new Facebook page, uh, Justin Map Soccer. So pretty simple. Um, and yeah, uh, check it out. And um, I love uh, any feedback from anybody. So um, yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Thank you, John. Also, thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. This was episode 57 of the Sock Takes Pod, and we will be back uh, probably next Thursday. We're trying to make that kind of our regular day, so we've pretty much been recording on Thursdays, and the pod will usually be out by Friday morning or afternoon. So be on the lookout for an episode next week. Until next time. I bid you farewell and be sure to watch plenty of footy.